We're back to the new Jedi Order as Corey and I take a look at Edge of Victory Conquest for today's episode of Tapcalf Transmissions. Just a note, guys, no episode next Thursday. But the subsequent week, we will be reading the new novel, Princess and the Scoundrel. So get reading, and I'll see you after the intro. Roll it. Welcome to Tapcalf Transmissions, where tonight we're going to be talking about New Jedi Order, Edge of Victory 1 Conquest. I am Corey. Joining me is Justin. How are you, Justin? I'm quite well, quite well. Uh, we've got some beautiful Yuzhan Vong Shaper cover art to look at today, so it's yep. a good day. Um, quite beautiful. I enjoyed this book. How about you, Corey? How are you doing? Uh, I both enjoyed this book and am doing not terrible. Uh, we are running a little bit late, but yeah, that's on me. That's, that's on me. We were fighting off a Yuzon Vong invasion, so it was it was for a good cause. Yeah, we accidentally called them bald instead. Or Vong, Vong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, they I hate that really especially. Yeah, I was just sorry. I was very excited. Well, I was actually also kind of looking at the side of this guy's head. It's uh, what's his name? The uh, the shamed oh, one. Oh, Vorapung. Yeah, he yeah. looks a little bit like I don't. You watch Stranger Things, right? Yeah, he's got a bit of mid-transition Vecna going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he kind of does. I'll, I'll hold it. It's not going to help the audio listeners, but I'll try to give you a better look there. But yeah, uh, but yeah, any news we want to go over before we get into into the book, into other Star um, Wars life? I don't think there was a whole lot of news. There's been some kind of more confusing stuff about the the. Um, Codor remake, remake, yeah, but I, I honestly don't think there's enough there to really even speculate what's actually going on. Yeah. Um. What about you? Anything that you can really think of? Uh, no, we're still just ambling our way towards Andor, and uh, mm. hopefully, well, actually, we are gonna get before Andor. We're gonna get the D twenty three Expo, which is September 9th, I think. Right. And yeah. that is gonna have at least some. So they've said there's going to be new content for Lego Star Wars there. Mm -hmm. But there's a chance there will be something else Star Wars because it says Lucasfilm Games will be there, which is not involved with Lego Star Wars. But that could just as easily be the Monkey Island game or some other Lucasfilm property that isn't Star Wars. So there, yeah, there's, there's a non-zero chance. Game. Yeah. 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 And I will note too... I like I think Marvel's going to have a bigger presence in Star yeah. Wars because it's specifically called like the Disney yeah. and Marvel Expo. Um, so, well, one of the games that's going to be there is a Marvel game by Skydance, which is also a company making a Star Wars game. So mm -hmm. maybe we'll be able to uh, spin that into just making something. shit up about a Star it's Wars. Something at least. Yeah, it's better than what we have been getting recently, which is cancellations. Not a lot. <laughs> like not a lot. I would love it. I, I don't think we need a trillion Star Wars games for Star Wars to be in an okay place. I don't think we need a trillion Star Wars movies for Star Wars to be in an okay place. The mm. thing that's disappointing to me or disheartening to me is that we get so much stuff announced 
And then the next thing you hear about it is actually it's not happening or it's mm-hmm. dead in the water. It's meaningless, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was at um, Best Buy today. Just I had to grab something. And I was obviously when you go into Best Buy, you got to go play on the Switch. You got to go look through the like sort of meander through the video game section. Right. And as I was walking through, I saw a physical copy of Star Wars Squadrons and I picked it up and just like. I stroked it as if it were a villip and I was communicating with with uh, Warmaster Savon Law. Um, <laughs> just gently like rubbing my hands. So whoever bought that, whoever ends up buying that is going to have some of my DNA coming home with them as well. Uh, like the, the dead skin cells or something no, else? Something oh, no. else. <laughs> oh no. I went to, I actually went to the Value Village over in, uh, in Orleans today mm-hmm. and there was a Star Wars board game that I had never heard of before oh. from the sequel trilogy era called hmm. Star Wars Hunt. It looked like a almost like Battleship. I don't know. I didn't hang around long enough to figure it out. The box was not very helpful, uh, mm-hmm. but the kid on the box looked like he was having fun. So if anyone wants to go to the Orleans Value Village on Ennis Road, uh, you can buy that box and you'll have some of my DNA as well. So and since it's Value the... Village, someone else's DNA almost certainly. Yeah, oh yeah. So the kid on the box looked like he was having fun and it still wasn't enough for you to pick it up. I, I seriously considered buying it, but I knew I'd never play it. I don't want to store it. You said it's called Hunt? Oh yeah, Star Wars Galaxy Hunt. Is that it? Okay, yeah, that that's probably it. Is there like oh, a, yeah, a little awful. hexagon tray with a... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? I... There's like a tray and then there's like a... just like. 10 pieces being i thought about buying it just so that i could make like a clip on it or something but galactic hegemony spin then remove a piece carefully then remove oh what the fuck is that yeah i'm (laughs) all right so next week on excited based on yeah i was a lot more excited based on your description than what it actually looks like and i would not have bought that either the thing is it's it's weirdly like especially looking at like the inside bits it looks like it could be from the original trilogy. Yeah, so I thought that was what it was. Then I saw the big face of Kylo Ren. But well, I kind of wonder because I'm looking at the pieces. Oh no, there is a First Order Star Destroyer. Yeah, I was kind of wondering whether it was may- maybe repurposed. I do note that it says from the new film Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Yeah, like I don't think that's a game that was released before that got another print. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people also forget how crazy marketing was when The Force Awakens yeah. came out. Like, everything was Star Wars branded. Yeah, like, I, I was just surprised to see something that wasn't one of the 73 abandoned copies of Trivial Pursuit that you normally see in a Value Village game section. Yeah. But so, like, I, I stood there. I went there to look for books. I didn't find a single Star Wars book, but I did find Star Wars Galaxy Hunt. So, if anyone's played it, let us know. Email us. Tell us. Uh, give us your review. And... uh We'll, we'll read it on air, just like any podcast reviews. I um I love looking at books in Valley Village. I whenever I go, I usually end up buying some random sci-fi book. But um I went to the other used bookstore by my house last week, and I hadn't been there in like probably six months. And I was like, "Did you move the Star Wars section? Because there was like there was nothing." And she was like, "No, like I can't keep them in stock. There's like collectors in oh. this area that just pick up everything." Um, which I, wasn't really an issue before, so I don't know what happened. But, but yeah, there's just collectors everywhere. But um, I, I I love the books at Value Village. Like you'll find like the most random like sci-fi book for like ninety-seven cents. Yeah, right That's next like, to a copy of Mein Kampf. 
yeah, it doesn't even have a, like a Wikipedia page. I kind of want to like start a series where I just go to the library or go to the Valley Village and pick up one of those books just based on whichever is the coolest cover and then go through it. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. But you know what else could be fun? What's that? If we talked about New Jedi Order, Edge of Victory 1, Conquest by Greg Keyes. Now, this was my favorite New Jedi Order book so far, I think. Yeah, me too. I really uh, like this one. This is actually, this is the only, so a lot of the NJO books, not all of them, but most of them are by authors who have done Star Wars before, but there's Salvatore, Greg Keyes, and then the pair who did the Force Radic trilogy, I think are the mm. only ones uh, where they've done NJO work, but they haven't done any other standalone novels. So Greg Keyes did these two. He did... Uh, the Unifying Force later on in NJO, and he also did a short story called Emissary of the Void that's also set in NJO, but he hasn't done any other Star Wars stuff. And I'm kind of sad about that because I really did like this. I thought he got the setting pretty the, well, too. Yeah, I'm not surprised he did the Unifying Force based on we get some crazy Force feats in this one with with yeah. uh, Anakin and Tahiri and Anakin on his own. But yeah, this was a fun one. Um, so it's it's very different in that... A lot of the book is from the Vong perspective, not quite half, but um, it's it's also a very strange book in that it's a, a continuation of the Junior Jedi Knight series, which mm -hmm. I have not read the entirety of. I've read some of, yeah. but I feel like this book would have been quite shocking for somebody um, who had read those books because Junior Jedi Knight is sort of like the Young Jedi Knight series, but even more kind of fanciful, uh, like yeah, like for even younger kids. Exactly. Yeah. Like there's the mermaid species that uh, they're not really mermaid, but this, the other species from the Yavin system that's in this book. And, and it's, just, it's just quite wild. And this book has Tahiri being mind fucked, Master Ikrit dying, just like all of these sweet childhood things just being brutally like torn apart. So I imagine that this book was quite shocking when it came out. Um, yeah, I guess that's yeah. my thought on that. Like, I think Lusa, yeah, Lusa dies off screen in NJO at some point after being mm. like in the Young Jedi Knights books, which would be, which is bad enough. But then like Ikrit explodes on screen in this one. And Tahiri, I, I do think Tahiri has one of the more, at, at least yeah. top three tragic fates in Star Wars. Like she does not really get a break. No, yeah, it's. A bad start for her in this one. Um, basically, Tahiri, who is kind of like the Tenelka, like it's kind of like Anakin's Tenelka, yeah. In that, probably, I'm guessing in the source material, maybe a bit of an underwritten love interest. I don't know though. I haven't written them. I haven't read them fully through all the way through. But um, but she's been on Yavin throughout this entire kind of throughout the war. She's a year younger than uh, Anakin, and basically Anakin. And Jason and Jaina and also Luke have realized that the Jedi Temple on Yavin, the Praxium, is now under serious threat given the fact that the Yuzhan Vong have essentially put out a holy war against the Jedi now. Um, so Anakin goes to Yavin to try to kind of give them warning, and he does manage to warn them somewhat until the, uh, the Yuzhan Vong show up of course, preceded by the um, Peace Brigade. 
Yeah, so the the book opens with Luke once again trying to hold a Jedi meeting, bringing all the Jedi together, not oh, including yeah. the kids that are on uh, that are on Yavin, because we're still dealing a lot with uh, Kip and Luke having different ideas on how to deal with the war. Uh, Jason, Anakin, and Jaina all having different ideas on how to deal with the war. And so this is uh, this is our first time really focusing on Anakin since the early book or two. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get three books of heavy, heavy Anakin before we stop getting much Anakin I mean, yeah, at all. No, not much after that. Weird how that happened. But mm-hmm. Until robot Anakin later on. Every time I reread NJO, it is weird to me just how little Anakin there actually is. Like, mm-hmm. he stands out so much as, like, a big presence, but it's uh, outside of the Edge of Victory duology. It's it's more from other people's perspectives and maybe some of the earlier stuff a little bit more, but we're about halfway... We're getting close to being halfway through the series, and we're... Basically, the Vong are at the height of their power. There's a so-called truce between the New Republic mm-hmm. and the Vong where they, they're saying that they're not going to invade anyone else, as long as the galaxy gives over the Jedi. As they're invading Yavin. Yeah. <laughs> but one thing that stood out to me with this meeting and something that's been kind of uh, standing out with all of the Jedi meetings throughout the last several books is that for all these big voices in the Jedi Order, Mara doesn't even seem to be in the room for these meetings. Like, yeah. I know she was sick for some of the earlier stuff, so it makes sense that she'd be taking a bit more downtime. But like, in this you get a download from Luke to her of like everything that's happening, but Mara doesn't, she's either not in the room or she's not saying anything in the room, which always mm-hmm. feels wrong for her character to me. just like sidelining mm-hmm. her like that. Cause she, she wouldn't accept that normally. Like she'd want to be yelling at Kip herself. Yeah. They've got Jaina sometimes taking that role yeah. where like, if she's in the conversations, she'll step up. Um, and I, I'm hoping that Ben, like a lot of this book has been kind of going, or sorry, Ben, uh, Anakin. Anakin rather. Yeah. OG Ben's Ben. Not born yet. Yeah. OG Ben. Uh, going, th- well, I guess that's Jason, but going through the kind of um, moral, like he's having his own moral considerations here. And I, I wonder if that's going to start cutting through to some of the kind of overall Jedi conflict. Probably not. I don't really, really remember kind of how that's handled but i mean anakin's viewpoint does end up being more what the jedi go with Mm -hmm. where he sees the need to fight by the end of it he's accepted there is a need to fight but i don't need to hate all of them and the fighting should ultimately be in service of finding whatever common ground we can use to stop the fighting so yeah by the end of star by star that's what they all mostly believe even jason comes around to some level of that yeah, and since we're on the topic now, I mean, we might as well talk about it. One of the big kind of things in this book is, and I'm sure we'll talk about the actual plot here now it gets to this point, but Anakin essentially learns how to sense the Yuzhan Vong through the Force. Not quite the same way that other living beings are, are sensed, but through other ways. And this comes after he physically uses a Vong created, or kind of a Vong biot as a lightsaber crystal. But it also comes when he has a discussion um, about like balance and, and kind of the meaning of that. And I think I, I sort of like it, but I think it falls into the trap that some star Wars authors do where they describe balance as an equal amount of darkness and an equal amount of lightness. Yeah. When like it, uh, that doesn't seem to have been the intention really. 
yeah um when talking about balance it certainly wasn't when the jedi were talking about balance um yeah i just want, was wondering about your thoughts on that yeah i i don't like the vong sense thing in general mm-hmm. that's another problem with it but when anakin has that discussion with Vurapung, uh, where he's trying to explain the force because they're trying to break into a shaper compound to rescue Tahiri, who was captured because uh, she was a little bit reckless when Anakin was trying to save all the mm-hmm. other Jedi. Uh, and whenever Anakin, who Vurapung has intentionally decided to work with, uses either technology or whatever else, he gets very upset. So Anakin yeah. tries to explain to him what he's doing with the lightsaber and to do that he explains a bit of the force and in that he talks about how he does see the vong as part of the dark side mm-hmm. and it's something that it's kind of on the same topic but it it's something that bothers me a bit with how luke in particular but also this conversation goes with the jedi and how they handle the vong and how they would like how you could extend this to droids as well, mm-hmm. where Luke considers genociding the Vong very seriously mm-hmm. because he can't sense them in the force. And I, the yeah, whole thing I, is that that whole element of it is ridiculous. Yeah. And Anakin kind of cuts to it in the end where it's like dark side and light side is one aspect of it, but on like a sort of primal level, yeah. it is good versus evil. Yeah. which is it is the obvious kind of point but I, and i totally agree with you about being sensed in the force is kind of immaterial whether you can or can't because you can't yeah. sense um uh what's it called um you sound fun no uh it's it's, it's salamiri in the force yeah but i i, I think every, most people would realize that it's still wrong to murder them in in mass um so I, I totally agree. And I also just, I, I just don't like, again, I don't think that's how balance is supposed to be thought no. of. Um, which is, is kind of interesting because one of my favorite kind of Star Wars soliloquies is in the Revenge of the Sith novelization. And it's super cheesy. And, you know, but it's at the very end when it's talking about how darkness is always there, but it can be held back with like just a little bit of light. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I see the balance more as like the fact that it is like there is, you know, light holding back kind of the the evil. The evil is always yeah. going to be there. Like you don't need to contribute to it. You don't need to make sure that it exists. It's always yeah. going to be there. Um, so yeah, you need to maintain the light because the darkness is just the absence of light. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the only one that will be threatened. The dark side's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But there's also the whole like there is a bit of a reconciliation between how the Vong and the Jedi see like death is just a part of life. And this is something that they kind of have in common. Mm-hmm. And through that, you get rid of some of the more toxic elements of how the warriors in the Vong operate and to some of the elements that are a bit more uh, practical or mm. less evil in how the rest of the Vong might operate and how like the shame ones don't really fit in the way that, the warriors see the full life and death situation yeah and and of course we get a hint of that too at the very end uh where savon law is like we'll just start murdering the shamed ones and like they'll get in line yeah and and the the shaper he's talking to is like that's the dumbest fucking thing i've ever heard in my life um 
But and and I think that was probably the, the strongest part of this book, in my opinion. I mean, I really liked Anakin. It was nice to focus on him for a bit. It was nice kind of to see. Well, it wasn't nice to see Yavin in the state because it's, you know, supposed to be. It's not doing super hot. No, and it's supposed to be like the home of like avent- adventures and it's their school and it's basically being fucked by the Yuzhan Vong. Yeah. But um, this is the first time we, I, I think like the Shapers have been mentioned before um, a little bit, but this is the first time we've really, really taken a look at the Shapers. And I think this may also be the first time we've, ever had like an explicit understanding of how the protocols work and for those who aren't following along do you want to kind of explain the vong protocols and how their kind of technology works right so the the vong technology they they basically grow everything they have and the people who are responsible for doing that are the shapers who have these uh, i think it's eight cortexes which are these sets of given knowledge by the theoretically by the gods And that is full of all the things they're allowed to do. They can sort of mix and match on how they apply certain things, but it's mostly just presented as you can do this thing with this other thing and that's it. And Mm -hmm. so what Nen Yim and Mizan Quad are doing in this book, uh, when they're basically trying to turn Tahiri into a Yuzan Vong by implanting all these false memories, they have to understand the uh, human... (laughs) Yeah, human anatomy, human neurological systems. And this does not match up with what they've been told by the cortexes, the knowledge in the cortexes. So they start making up their own things to apply that knowledge, but that's not allowed. Yeah, Yeah. you're not not supposed to do research. You're not supposed to adapt any of the knowledge. You're not supposed to adjust it. Mm. You just do what you're told. And uh this will become more of a thing as we go through those series i don't think they've said the term cortex later on yet. yeah no uh, i don't think we get cortex but like that, that's a great explanation like for and for example they have a protocol for how to create false memories for yuzhan vong yeah um but obviously that doesn't work because the human brain is slightly different than the yuzhan vong brain so in kind of researching and getting new information it, you know, there's the idea that all of the information they need has been passed down by the gods. And there is even a little hint in this book that that's kind of bullshit because yeah. um, they talk about how when they really need new information, they they have the supreme uh, leader or, or or whoever else pray. And what do you know? New protocols are shown uh, yeah. show up. So. Yeah, like the. Some of the shaper it. it it seems like some of these shapers are the ones giving that information to Shimra. So Shimra's mm-hmm. probably in on this as well. Onimi definitely mm-hmm. is. But oh, yeah. it's this understood fiction among a lot of the people who know what's going on. And and uh, this gets turned over by a kind of rival shaper domain. So Mizan Quad's uh, mm-hmm. experiments get rooted out by... Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. There's too many, too many different. Um, yeah, sorry. Was it, it was it task task booth or no, no, I think that was the commander. Oh no, it was Yalp. Yalp. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it seems less like he's concerned that it's heresy. He doesn't give a shit. It's that this is a political tool that he can use to get out Mizan quad. So I, there was never the, I never got the sense that like, any of them really gave a fuck or really believed that this was the limit of the knowledge because the idea is like 
we only need to know these things. The gods tell us everything we need to know and nothing will be outside of this, which maybe there's some true believers, but the more you get into the higher levels of the Vaughn government, you start to see throughout it that it is more used as a useful tool to control uh, everyone yeah. else. Like, you know, there were a few centuries away from like Yuzhan Vong, Martin Luther with like the 95 Vong yeah. theses, just ready to fully like fix all this. Because you're right. And I, I do think it is kind of a little poke at religion in a way where like they're basically using essentially like scripture and their religion yeah. to win these interpersonal battles and to, to kind of jostle for power. Because the book kind of starts with, with Yalpoth somewhat being, um, well, he's the, he's the senior shaper compared to a, a Mijan Quad, but she has a one-up on him in that she's got a Jedi and she's making some progress um, with the Jedi. Uh, so he obviously, even though he can learn incredible things and the Vaughn could benefit from this, uh, you know, she shamed him. So, yeah. Yeah, so... They're, they're regularly getting all these new ideas on what they can do from the cortexes or from their pool of long knowledge. But mm -hmm. as long you really you really got to make sure you're adhering to that fiction of where it's coming from. Yeah. But as we learn, Mizan Quad has never been big on rules in the first place because uh, mm -hmm. she was uh, engaged in unsanctioned coitus with mm -hmm. a warrior. You don't do that. Yeah, unless you get a blessing, which they did not yeah. have. Um, so yeah, no quitusing. And you're right. That's kind of the second half of this. We get a look into kind of how the Vong society is just drastically unfair and backwards. On one hand, we've got the Shapers. On the other hand, uh, we've got Vua Rapung, who is uh, he's he's basically a, a shamed one, uh, like the lowest of the low of the Yuzhan Vong cast, because apparently his body rejected Yuzhan Vong modifications. And at this point, if you've been reading the series. You know that that's how the Yuzhan Vong sort of show um, their feel, their fealty to the gods and their intensity, and basically how they show their validity as Yuzhan Vong. They drastically alter themselves. They always cut their cheeks open, cut their lips. They're always inflicting pain uh, and grafting things onto their body. So Vua's grafts rejected are rejected by his yeah. body, and we learn throughout the novel that that is actually um, because that the the shaper uh purposefully kind of messed with them yeah and she was that, afraid that he was going to expose their unsanctioned relationship after he posted on vong twitter going mm -hmm. to see my cutie goth gf and yeah it just didn't work out yeah and it's it's kind of funny because like the big reveal is she 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 goes you're not ashamed one basically at the end right before she dies um when like <laughs> some of the vong like obviously being blessed by the gods has nothing to do with whether your body rejects the Vong modification. And, and, you know, if you want to bring that logic fully to f like fully around anyway, why didn't the gods protect you? If like in the, in this respect anyway, like, you know, why does the fact that the buyouts were modified with matter? Shouldn't they have protected you anyway? So it's like the society is just so fucking ass backwards, but that's what they're living in. Yeah, it it is a little bit uncomfortable with some of the portrayals of them in mm -hmm. how political attitudes were 20 years ago when it was being mm -hmm. made. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, it there, were, there was a lot of preconceived notions about 
uh, other religions that not intentionally, but uh, I don't assume, but did yeah. just filter into how they were treated and then how they were portrayed and uh, like visually and just the way that uh, certain terms are used. Yeah. Are you referring to like the shapers have like a, a, a I think it's called a headdress sometimes. Yeah, um, there's a lot of. Uh, I don't know if it's on these ones, but there were some of the uh, depictions tended to go pretty heavily into adapting things from Eastern or Middle Eastern religions when portraying mm-hmm. the bong visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like use of the term uh, infidel and everything, which yeah. would primarily be associated with how a lot of people in the West would think that like even this the way they speak sometimes yeah um like that would have been i can if they had made this like in a movie i can have seen like it just it it sounds like a stereotypical like if you're gonna have evil middle eastern character mispronouncing a word like that like jedi it's just like yeah yeah a lot of it was very heavily played into stereotypes of that would have been going around which Mm -hmm. is yeah yeah, which is something, it's, and this is not the first book to do it. It's yeah. kind of something that's been... It's the NJO as a whole does a lot of it, and how much of it is conscious versus how much of it was just the idea that had leaked into the popular culture of the time based on... But yeah. I, I think I mentioned it at the start of the series, uh, the Samuel Huntington stuff and the whole Clash of Civilizations thing, mm-hmm. where you come out of the fall of the Soviet Union and... Uh, there were groups like the neoconservatives that were really pushing for decades the idea that like the next great clash of civilizations was between the like the Christian West and the Islamic world. So there was a lot of framing things that way, and some of it just gets adapted into the popular culture intentionally or not that reflects those attitudes in which are not the best. Yeah, no, I agree. Um it's also like a weird thing where you know there's 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 obviously it's it's kind of odd that the the Vong are so alien they're outside the galaxy, but in reality they're very much like any other Star Wars civilization, just with like this one big thing. And for them, it's mostly the fact that they're kind of edgy, uh, pain uh, masochists, I guess, um, and sadists. But like it. it it is weird that they're still so kind of it's almost the point where it can be like a fear of the other thing where or where they're so they're similar enough that it's almost like they could be just an existing culture within the galaxy yeah um where i think it's more interesting if you're going to go alien invasion like from outside the galaxy in a context like star wars i think it's more interesting if you go with an enemy that is like maybe it's hard to write but an enemy that's strange beyond um comprehension something like the flood and halo or a, a bunch of warus a bunch of warus or a civilization that's like yeah like just giant sentient blocks of ice or something um not saying that that's a good idea but when you do it with the vong it's like this is basically just a, a, a different culture. Now, obviously, it's a different culture taken up to the to eleven because they kind of love pain and they're kind of the antithesis of what most yeah. uh, civilization um, civilization uh, adheres to. But just kind of worth noting, I think. What I think they really missed out on because there there is a lot of like as you go through the series, the 
what seems like a cultural monolith starts to break down as you get a better idea of like how different elements of the Yuzon Vong society functions and what the actual uh, rationale between behind how they treat pain works. But mm -hmm. when they're figuring it out at first, what I don't understand, what I think the first book would have, or maybe not the first book, but the first few books would have really benefited from is if the New Republic had been able to get a Yuzon Vong captive, which they almost did with uh elon but sort of <laughs> there was no point where you had yeah because you they like not actually it wasn't elon it was someone else in vector prime or onslaught where they captured them and then they basically exploded oh yeah but they meant the one who was trying yeah yeah okay. and we'll start to get more into like the new republic showing some of their darker side with how they want to use chemical weapons and biological weapons against the Yuzon Vong. So you'd think that early on, even there would be a push for more torture. And what I don't get is why we never got a scene where they were torturing Yuzon Vong and they just said harder, daddy. <laughs> the gods are loving this. And so am I. <laughs> I don't know if that was worth the two minutes of setup. I did. <laughs> no, I, cause you know, I th that would have been, that could have been an interesting scene early on in the, the novel or the series where they're just torturing a Yuzon Vong agent. And he's like, like, this is great. Like maybe this galaxy's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not so different after all. <laughs> yeah, until until the jizz whalers come in and <laughs> yeah, music with uh, electronic instruments. That's going to be a big yeah. no, big no. But one other thing I wanted to talk about towards the start of the book, mm -hmm. uh, we get a lot of the setup from Anakin, and he talks about his name a bit. And we've talked about how Han and Leia were probably not the best parents. Uh, we're definitely not good parents, actually. Mm -hmm. And like Anakin starts kind of going on about his like all the pressure he has with that and how afraid he constantly is that he's going to turn out to be like Vader. And mm -hmm. was naming him Anakin a form of child abuse? <laughs> it's got to be pretty close, like... Is that like naming the kid Adolf? It kind of is. Yeah. Like outwards to the galaxy, especially, you'd think that that's just like you don't want to play up that relationship. And I think that's something that new canon handles a little bit better with like bloodlines and stuff mm -hmm, where definitely. like the whole galaxy says, no, like you're you're Vader's daughter. This is a potential like, problem. Canceled. Yeah, for sure. And I it's not a fair attitude to have towards her, given how she's shown herself with her actions. But I feel like as soon as you name your son after him, you're really shooting that credibility in the foot a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. It's. It, yeah, I mean, it, it's totally true. Like whether if you found out that, you know, how do I not make this blood? If you found out that Im imaginary Canadian prime minister was actually Adolf Hitler's you know, great grandson or grandson, you know, people would be upset because, and, and I, uh, obviously there have been the jokes made about, about Trudeau, but we'll, we'll skip that. That'll be on the Canadian politics podcast. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, cause just cause it's like a visceral reaction, you know, it's, it's realistic. Um, and yeah, in bloodlines, Leia basically gets canceled on Twitter and she decides, you know, she's probably never going to be chancellor or whatever. Um, well, but, I don't think it. I don't think it's fair that like, oh, you're the descendant of this person, would result in that. But like, 
you named you named your son after him, and it's not like Anakin yeah. was this great guy, and then he, he became Darth Vader, and then he started murdering all the kids. He did that before too, and mm-hmm. I don't know it. You can talk about re- reclaiming the name there, but then you're putting all that effort on, or all that uh, all those expecta- expectations and pressure on Anakin. It just I don't think it was fair. Anakin uh, got a. A rough hand. I mean, it's it's worse. They could their original name was Darth, uh, Darth Solo. Um, but yeah. that was a little too on the nose. Someone in chat mentions that it's probably a thing where not that many people knew. But at this point, twenty five years out, like I think the history books would have kind of. I think I think the Hollow Net wiki would have had that kind of. Yeah, and, and even if people don't it. know, it doesn't change the the mechanics of that situation. I don't because think. people know. And at this point, people know that most people would know that Vader is is Luke's father, yeah. and they would know that Anakin is Leia's father, and they know Luke and Leia are brother and sister. So you know, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of uh, of complicated arithmetic to go to 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 go through there. But Legends is is also pretty is also frequently pretty. This this is good. This is bad. This person redeemed themselves, so yeah. they're good now. Um, yeah, like Luke was definitely on CNN, Coruscant News Network, doing interviews for a while. Like, oh, no, my dad uh, is Anakin Skywalker now. He was Darth Vader. He's all good. And then we Leia. his binders of, wind- of women with his armor. Not yeah. weird. <laughs> and yeah, like Leia's my sister. Please delete that uh, security recording, Han, of the makeout. And so like people know you'd have to you'd have to assume. Like people, yeah. there are whole tabloids that still exist about the royal family and this is star wars where Mm -hmm. there's it's a big galaxy there's got to be some group of people who are like the royalists that just keep the the tabloids on han and leia's marriage fights with isolder and luke Mm -hmm. uh is luke dabbling in the dark like daddy well they mentioned that too like the isolder thing um in the tabloids he's like the yeah they mentioned in um Whatever book it was, we read a couple yeah. of days ago that they a yeah. couple of episodes Tan ago. Han saw Leia gallivanting around. Yeah, and she's like, it was just, it was just for the hollows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, people, what we're saying is, people will will get their dirt no matter what. They mm-hmm. just want this smut. Yep, and they're very famous people. Um, and and. If we've learned anything from Star Wars, it's that people are awful to children, mm-hmm. um, especially famous children. So it's kind of fortunate that Jason didn't end up having a probably totally understandable mental breakdown. Um, I guess he kind of does, to be fair. Yeah. But, you know, he gets it back. He, he handles it in the end. But, you know, it could have been worse for the kids. I mean, it takes all these other kids when he's going to rescue them emulating his kind of self-destructive behavior for him to realize like, okay, maybe I need to dial things back a little bit. And he learns to kind of trust what Vura Pung is saying even. And that's a lot of growth in ways that he wouldn't have been capable of at the start of the mm-hmm. series. So mm-hmm. Anakin comes a long way and I'm sure he'll be able to apply that lesson to his life for years to come. Yeah. yeah he's going to be a really great father. I'm, I'm excited to see how he does yes. there. <laughs> One thing that I did find kind of annoying was uh, what's his name, Captain Imstad, Imstad or something. The Peace Brigade officer mm. was was there, 
and they were talking to Card. Yeah, when he was talking to Card, you're like, oh, I was I was at Wayland with Thrawn, and it's like, why were you all? You yeah, why is everyone in the same? There were, he took like ten stormtroopers down there. What do you yeah. mean? <laughs> so unnecessary uh, were you the one who got shot at with an arrow uh, but yeah <laughs> that was silly but i do like that uh we get um the full uh the full smugglers alliance crew members back in action yep. Sh- the shaded who call death fake i i remember one of my biggest memories of uh, i always loved shaded who call i don't know why i just thought she was an awesome character so one of my memories of reading this for the first time was thinking that she had died and being really upset um but of course she doesn't uh but yeah talon has like i like that he's got all the uh the original characters from the uh from yeah. the, the the trilogy and the duology we even got the cat lady back which was fun the one that everyone's weirdly hitting on and Assistant. trying to fuck yeah well how did you feel about being able to see a scene on the wild cardi again you're a big fan of the wild cardi right <laughs> yeah i am uh for those who don't know that's i was i put a tweet out the other day and was like, I can't take Star Wars fan debate seriously because there's like a large group of people that say with all seriousness that the ship called the Wild Card, which is clearly a pun, is called the Card A, and that it's Talon Card A. And it's just like, where were you raised? And yeah. why do they not have puns there? These are people who are pronouncing the ether way as ether way or something too, so it's fine. Well, it's just like, uh, and I, there's a lot of you know some things i just say wrong yeah um like because i like it better that way um like uh what's what's a good example um i got a lot of shit for pronouncing the nile as the nil or the nihil yeah but the yeah. biggest thing that gets me is the viscount where as whenever viscount? I say Viscount, there will be a bunch of people in the comments trying to say, oh, actually, it's Viscount. No, not in British English. Yeah, that's the most annoying one where, like, it's something in one, like, usually British English and Americans are so loud about it. Uh, what's the one that I get all the time? Um, this the Halo ship, the, uh, fuck, what is it called? Um... Like a, a ship class, or yeah, no, the specific ship. It's the uh, oh, the the Iroquois. I, I know I've right. been about this before, and they're like, no, it's Iroquois, or however it's said in parts of the U.S. When like, oh, it's it's, it's Iroquois, and like, if you want to say Iroquois or or however it's said the other way, like, feel free, but I choose not to say that. And the best part is the comments that are trying to correct people on that usually have something spelled wrong. So, <laughs> yeah. I, the, for me, the one that um, that I know I say wrong, but I just am not going to change it is Izani Isard. I know it's like isn't a, but isn't that that's how you say it too, right? You say I think I you say, say Isan. Isan. Okay. I don't know what the correct. It might like. be Isan. Anyway, like the audiobooks have the correct pronunciation. Um, and I use, so does, I also usually call her like Isard rather than Isard, which is what it yeah. would be because it sounds like Iceheart. Because and I actually, so I learned something really cool about this character that I wish they brought up in the books recently. Uh, so apparently, and I don't know if you've ever seen art of her. If you look really closely, no. you can see that she has two eyes actually, and each one is a different color. I wonder if that's meant to like reflect the duality of her anger 
where sometimes her anger comes out icy and cold and calculated, whereas other times yeah. it's fiery and uncontrollable. Yeah, like one is yellow to represent the heat of the sun, and one is green to represent the cool, calm fields. Hmm. Look it up. I don't know enough about ice art to argue that. <laughs> yeah, it never comes up in the book, but someone pointed out that, that would be a cool thing if they did that. So, uh, yeah, the people should. And we do get some eye talk in this one as well. Yeah, because uh, Tahiri now has two different sets of eye colors depending on which persona she's inhabiting. It's not even like different eye colors, just like different eye feelings. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's always kind of the same colors, just sometimes she looks dead inside. Yeah, the the, the breaking didn't work perfectly, but because uh, I don't... We'll get more of it. She yeah, that'll be the next uh, next book and the rest of Tahiri's life where we deal a lot with it. Uh, yeah, when she's trying to jerk off her not not quite cousin, but almost cousin. Um, well, we don't need to get to the crimes of Tahiri yet. Let's start building up the crimes of Tahiri Vela. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, she. so she, I mean, she they don't talk about the fact that she's got like a scar in her forehead at, the, at this point. Like Anakin doesn't say anything about that. We only get it briefly mentioned that the shapers put her, put their kind of their family crest into her head. Well, not super cash money thing to do. Anakin is just blinded by love currently. And yeah, we'll get a little bit of that next time, but no kiss yet. Lots of hold hand holding or Corin. Yeah, you think a kiss? What? I was just gonna say. I think a kiss would have been appropriate. Well, they, uh, yeah, they, they got to the hand-holding. They're still establishing that their friendship is what it is right now. Mm -hmm. And then it turns into something more. And then they live happily one, ever after. One thing that this book did that was very, well, somewhat different. Some books do this. The time scale was very, well, long. It's yeah. like, like, he's stuck in the camp. For, like, there's like a week where he's stuck in the camp. And he's like, like, Thierry's in Vong control for probably like a month, I would say, right? Um... Like when they crash on Yavin, like he's not like a few hundred yards from the Jedi Temple. He's like half the planet away. Uh, I think it's about a week. I don't think it's a week, okay. a week or two. I don't think well, it's a full month, but it does. The book is over the course of a pretty long period of time, which they can well, do like because a it's a truce. But. He's like the, a week with the uh, isn't he a, like a, a slave for a week? Pretty much. Yeah, a couple days. Yeah. Because it was two days that Mizan Quad was gone that Nen Yim gets fucking tricked by the oldest trick in the book. Of like, hey, you doing any heresy? I like heresy. And she's like, yeah. oh, epic. I, can't, I love I can't heresy lie to you. too. I'm a, I'm a cop. I can't lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How can someone so smart be so stupid? <laughs> Not smart. He's good at biology. <laughs> I wonder if like the... The other Shaper family was like sitting in a meeting trying to figure out, uh, figure out how exactly they could expose Mizan Quad, and they're just stewing away on it for hours. Then one of them just looks up and says, "Just ask her." What if we just sit? What if we just see what's up? Just go check in. <laughs> but it how do you feel about Talon Card's huge mistake here? Talon Card kills Anakin in one simple moment. Uh, with that, you mean taking the uh, the Vornskers? Telling them about the Vornskers. Yeah. And having the, yeah, 
Because like you could have what what they should have done is like brought something else, like brought like like the Vornskers and also like a parrot. I mean, like the parrot will find them. Yeah. The Vornskers are just here to protect against wildlife. Yeah, like he's got the the empty Zalmari cages. He doesn't need to explain what's doing what. Or if he is, he can just shoot them. Because I mean, yeah. without without these Vornskers being known to the Yuzon Vong, they're not necessarily gonna be able to develop the Voxen. And mm-hmm. Talon Card needs to be held responsible for killing Anakin. Which sets off a lot. I think we talked to this before, how like Talonkar taking the the Vornskers down ends up basically his dogs, his little puppy dogs, yep. ends up uh well, it, it ends up leading to a lot. But yeah. yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um I mean he did he needed to bring the the, the Vornskers because he needed to find the Jedi as well. Yes. Um, like himself. But he didn't need so. to tell them what was going on. Like he told the Peace Brigade what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He may as well yeah. have just fucking sent them an address of, oh, this is where I bought these. You can go to the store and pick up Chef and Vonskush of your shelf. Yeah, especially because at this point, like, from this book, they're working right now on, on, because we get a hint that they're making Vonskurs of their, or they're starting to work on the Voxen, which are Vonskurs mixed with, do we? I forget. What's the other creature? Uh, I don't know what the other creature was. Wasn't it yeah. like other Yuzon Vong buyouts? Yeah, it may it may have been. Yeah, but it's it's something else anyway, just to make yeah. them deadlier. Because uh, like Card's whole thing was like, oh, no one else will ever tame them. I was like, have you seen what the Vong do with literally everything? Yeah, they're yeah. You basically their their spaceships are basically like giant vaginas, like. Like I think they can tame your dog, yeah. and they don't need to. They can just make them and let them loose. Mm-hmm. Like they have these yeah. giant fire-breathing tripods that walk around burning <laughs> yeah, everything. It's... You think the puppy's going to be hard for them to figure out? Yeah, it's like it's not going to work. And then like fly, like like two systems over, there's like a giant space worm eating a spaceship. It's like no, I think they'll probably manage it. So yeah. I, like, I... I just want everyone to to think about it when they're reading Star by Star for two book episodes from now. Everything you are reading is Talon Card's fault. Sorry, Talon Cardi, his fault. Yep. Although to be fair, Anakin would have died without Card there as well. So it's you win some, you lose some. Also, I said I want to. I said giant space vaginas because there's that scene where they get in the Yuzhan Vong ship, and and um. Uh, Anakin's looking around for like the nerve cluster to close the door. All I could <laughs> imagine is like Anakin's trying to find like the space G spot, like the Vong G spot. <laughs> Look for the bumpy area, Anakin. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta hook your. F- <laughs> uh, stop! I'll do it myself. <laughs> Give me the hood. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh. Remember to uh, vote for us for the Disney podcast stage at next door celebration. Absolutely rancid. All right. uh, Anything else you want to talk about from conquest before we move on to questions? You will. Uh, Let me just check my notes. I, I I thought that uh, great keys did a good job of just bringing in other things from uh, bringing in kind of other things from other series, especially the junior Jedi Knights. I have 
Older fly, older rescue flyers. What the fuck is that? Why do I have that in my notes? Oldier. Yeah. Why do I have that in my notes? Who's Oldier Locket? Who is that again? Oh, 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 oh. He's just a. He was a Jedi. Like, remember the the. He's at the very beginning. The Jedi who's like he's. He kind of flunked out of Luke's Academy. Yeah. And he's, yeah. He's working in the kind of, he's helping to rescue people. I don't know why I had that marked down. I guess I just, I guess I just, was it a that. reference to something or did you just like the name? Yeah. No, he was in, he was in Junior Jedi Knights, that okay. character. Yeah. The one who's like, he is force sensitive, basically. Um, we get a few more of those. Yeah. And they try to turn him over to the, to the, the baddies. The other thing I, I mentioned that we haven't talked about is the evil vision of, of Tahiri. I was shocked. Right. That there's no, I couldn't find any fan art of that. I was absolutely shocked. That, I think the there's a. Is there moments. not a picture of, like an official picture of Tahiri in arena form? I guess I'm just thinking of her, like mechanic jumpsuit picture thing. There's like a picture of her with like the, uh, with the the eel thing on her neck, but that's all that I yeah. can see. Yeah. Yeah. So, do they cover the whole no shoes thing coming from the Tuscans more in Junior Jedi Knights? I don't think that's a traditional Tuscan thing. I believe so, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay, I must just be thinking of the picture from Legacy: of The Force. Yeah, maybe Swarm War even. I think this, or in the Final Prophecy, I'm looking. She, it that it does have her. I think it's Tahiri anyway, uh, but she looks. Pretty much. Oh no, she does have the the crest on her head. Yeah, but I'm talking. I'm talking about like when she's when yeah, Anakin Anakin's has that vision. And evil Tahiri. Like, also evil Tahiri, but also like he's kind of going through puberty at the same time. So it's like mm -hmm. a little weird because he's like, he's like this is the first time I thought of her like that. Like here we go, <laughs> <laughs> here we go. But I, I I thought it was an interesting idea. It's like that is the edgiest character possible. Dark Sider. With Yuzhan Vong armor and all the the cut lips and the the biot eyes and stuff, like it's basically that's like that's edgier than some even thought possible. That's like edgier than Darth Crate, but in my opinion. we did get that eventually, and it was undercut by the name. What do you mean? You remember mm -hmm. Vongarella? Oh um, yeah, I actually did not. Well, yeah, I forgot about that. But yeah, that. You're you're right that the name undercuts it there. But wasn't Von Grella gonna have like their own book? Yeah, own they book? I don't know what they ended up actually being in other than like some side mentions and stuff. Uh but it, it was gonna be involved I don't think it was gonna be a a full book, but I think there was she was gonna be involved in more and then just got dropped. Mm. I, I forget yeah, the reason. I'm, I'm for looking it up now. It's only in only in source books. I just like how she's a she's got like the the Vong wounds and stuff, and then she's just like wearing a dress as well. <laughs> and like I kind of wonder how similar a non modified Yuzhan Vong looks like to a human. I think it's it like pretty similar. similar. Like Anakin sees than... the shamed ones and was like, "Oh, this dude just has a slightly different forehead and a flat nose." Yeah. 
So they basically look like Voldemort from the movies with hair or a Mun with a regular head proportion hair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mostly just things yeah. and hair. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, if you look at... Um, it's Mijon Quad, I think, on the cover. Yeah. Like, if you give her a nose, which she's ritualistically cut off, she looks exactly like a human. Plus, she's got the, the head thing going. Yeah, I think their noses are supposed to look... Like, I think their noses look more like what they look like on the cover there. Actually. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I don't think they've all cut off their noses. I think that's just a standard... Like, it's a flat nose situation mm -hmm. that they have. That's, like, the biggest difference for them. It seems like their ears... A lot of the time, their ears are, like, almost elf-like. Um, yeah. Like, if you look up that picture... Like, there's a picture of Savon Law where he's got, like, elf-like ears, but... they they I kind of imagine they're non-modified version that kind of look like a Star Trek race, maybe. Yeah. It's like uh, we got prosthetic ears and we're going to call it at that. <laughs> the budget only allowed for the Vong to look so different. Yeah. So where are you putting this on the on the hierarchy of books? This was an A for me. I really like this Same. one. Yep. This was a good one. And I, I, I think the brevity served it well also. I think in general, the NJO picks up from here. I think we're going to have a lot more in the B and A area because I think so far we've had a lot of B and C's and a D, mm -hmm. but I think things are going to start to creep up a little bit from here. Now that everything's established, we get a bit more on the side of like answers and exploring stuff rather than introducing all the questions. But, uh, but yeah, A for me. Uh, I think one of the problems too is that like the earlier books, they don't actually ask that many really compelling questions. Yeah. Like not as many as this book does. Like there are questions like, okay, how are the Vong going to take over the galaxy or how are the good guys going to refute them? Why are they cut off from the force? But like this book, it actually starting to actually ask questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some of the more repetitive storylines have taken a little bit of a backseat. You still get like the Jedi uh, schisming, but you have a bit of a better exploration of it than we've had so far, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Oh, one thing we get is we get one. We've only got a couple books left with Borsk Fili, and he's got a pretty shitty moment in this one. Yeah. Where uh, he, he basically throws the Jedi out. And he acts to Luke like he didn't know they were coming for Yavin, but I think it's kind of clear he probably did. Yeah. And then he calls Jaina stupid. He yells at the child who's been fighting in his military. Yeah. Not great. Not a great nope. look. Nope. It's a rare take on this podcast, but Borsk failure. Not, a, not, not a, always super not cash epic. money. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, so we got a few questions for this week. Okay. Uh, so the first one that we're going to talk about is from Maxwell. Who, I think this one was from Maxwell. I might have copied that wrong. But they say, I think the Star Wars novel titles emulate those of the... I th uh, the Star Wars novel titles that emulate those of the films, which usually follow a similar formula, a verb plus preposition or noun plus verb plus adverb are the best. Mm -hmm. Titles like Heir to the Empire, Shodan at Center Point, or Truce of Bakura sound like they could very well be one of the movies. But I think in Bantam Era, they had the book titles not only imitating the style of the movies, but also providing a sense of pulpiness and adventure. When the license moved to Delray, Star Wars book seems to drop the ball in this standing, with Legacy of the Force and Fate of the Jedi completely going, giving up entirely. 
One word titles like Sacrifice or Revelation, mm. Revelation sound more like bad Resident Evil movies than evoking the name of Star Wars. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and I, I agree with the... I like the pulpy titles, too. Um, the... I'm looking at the Indiana Jones ones because uh, those books, uh, they've got even better titles. I just want to I just want to read some of the books here. Um, timeline of books. Here we go. Oh my god, some of these are in French. Indiana Jones and the Titanic Adventure. Indiana Jones and the Lost Gold of Durango. Indiana Jones and the Journey to the Underworld. The Circle of Death. The Eye of the Tiger. Face of the Dragon. The mm -hmm. Secret City. Uh, Gypsy Revenge, not a great title there. Um, Rule of Young Indiana Jones and the Rule of Russia. There's some really, I think there's one that's like the Sky. It's like Sky. Oh, Indiana Jones and the Sky Pirates. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. When I hear Indiana Jones and the Sky Pirates, I kind of want to know what's up. Um, and that is one of actually, I, that's one of the things that got me into reading Star Wars um, at first was. I remember in, I think it was my grade four class, um, my, my teacher had uh, Lando Calrissian. He had, two, he had two of the books. He had Lando Calrissian in The Mind Harp of Sheru and Lando Calrissian in The Flame Wind of Ossian. And the thing about those pulpy sci-fi titles is they're just, they seem so wacky. It's like, what is a Flame Wind of Ossian? What is a Sky Pirate? Like, I want to know. Um, so yeah, I, I do enjoy the, the pulpy titles. So I generally agree with the sentiment, but I think part of it with those is less about dropping that style of title and more that those were usually like titles mm -hmm. for a book within a series where the series followed a lot of those same rules. Like if you just had Legacy of the Force, Fate of the Jedi, The New Jedi Order, The Swarm War, or uh, Dark Nestrology, I guess Dark Nestrology doesn't really follow it. But yeah. that one had the book titles a bit more along with it. But the titles for a lot of the books in those series, if they had series title, sometimes a long series subtitle like Edge of Victory, mm -hmm. then you had another long title after it. It wouldn't have been super helpful. I guess you could say that you just drop the series title and just give everything a longer name. But yeah. I don't really have a problem with the one word titles. I tend to like them for it's just like they are. My problem is I, I I already forget what happens. It, like I remember the story of New Jedi Order and Legacy of the Force, and but I, I don't remember what happens in each book. But I guess that's kind of also the nature of having so many books. Well, the, um, yeah, that's like that's just what happens when it's a longer series rather than yeah, Legacy of the Force fair. being one book, like Trisha Bakura. Yeah, like once you start getting past a trilogy, you do need to have a series title because you mm -hmm. don't refer to like. Star Wars, the Thrawn trilogy, heir to the Empire, say Star Wars, heir to the Empire. But if it was every book of Legacy of the Force just having its own title and no one really referred to it as Legacy of the Force, it'd be a bit harder to keep track of. Fair enough. Um, one thing I want to mention before we move on, uh, I'm just on the Indiana Jones fandom page, and two of the other books are, well, Indiana Jones has an adventure within the Hollow Earth. Uh, there's several books, including Indiana Jones in the Interior World, and then there's also another book called Indiana Jones in the Unicorn's Legacy. And I was just reading the appearances section of that. And about 10 characters down, we have Jesus Christ mentioned only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, Indiana Jones found the Spear of Longinus. Okay. The Spear of what? 
Isn't that what it's called? The Spear of Longinus? The one that... Longinus? I don't know how you say it. The one that, like, they killed Jesus with? Well, when he was on the cross, they, they, they gave him a good stab with? I don't know. Oh. All right, ex-sacrilegious side. Our next question comes from Emzenik, who says, Hey, I've got a question regarding the entire Yuzon Vong storyline and its role in the old canon overall. While I very much enjoy the NJO era and consider the Yuzon Vong very interesting, the movies were always supposed to be the main piece of Star Wars. The purpose of the expanded universe, on the other hand, as the name suggests, was to expand on the movies and add to them not to undermine their role. Yet when you look at the NJO series and the Vong itself, the sheer scale of the conflict, the devastation... Uh, and the battles it involved, especially the Battle of Yuzon Tar, makes the movie seem insignificant or at least less impactful to the Star Wars history, shifting the central point to the Vong invasion. Also, later events such as the Second Galactic Civil War and the rise of Darth Krait seem to be the result of the Vong invasion. It definitely wasn't supposed to be this way, the saga was simply intended to be the main event and the Sith to be the main threat. Furthermore, the Vong being stated to have been around and preparing the invasion since even before the movies by works such as Outbound Flight, give the impression that basically all the events before 25 ABY led to this point. Uh, all this turns the movies in a mere prelude for the invasion, and if true, significantly undermines the original creator's vision in a harmful way. Do you consider the Vong to be more important in the universe than the story, and the conflicts presented in the movies? And if yes, do you think it damaged the Star Wars story? This is going to be a controversial opinion, um, especially for the Legends fans that watch this show. But I never really bought the idea that like it was clear that George Lucas had a story that he wanted to tell. And while he may have approved of some things that happened in the expanded universe and some others, like for me, George Lucas's vision is what I'm most interested in. And what's really cool about the expanded universe and like what some people see this as an insult, but I don't think it is. What's cool about the expanded universe is there became so much fan interest that people wanted more than just mm -hmm. things that expanded on the novels. And it ended up telling its own unique story, um, which I do see as somewhat separate. Um, like, I, when I do my headcanon of the universe, I don't know if the Yuzhan Vong fit in there, um, but I'm still glad the stories exist because it's, you know, it's an interest, it's interesting new characters. And um, yeah, like, I think that's why Timothy Zahn, for example, I think, kind of understood that like well, even with the Thrawn campaign even though Thrawn is a major villain uh, and of course he is the Thrawn beating the Thrawn campaign is not as monumental as beating the em the emperor and that's why you know he generally didn't want characters to die outside of the movies um so I, I think there's different philosophies on that but I don't think it undermines it either way I think you know I, I think they can both be enjoyed in their own ways. Yeah, I don't think it's a, a harmful thing. And I think like even if you have the movies as definitely the thing that takes precedence over the other stuff, if you say that nothing can ever pass that bar in individual importance of events or impact, then you're really limiting what the stories can tell. Uh, like if everything has to be like a lesser threat and still keep centering the Sith. And this is something that we've kind of talked about uh, you in particular that you don't love when stories feel the need to like keep rehashing that Sith story and there's just Sith everywhere because they feel like they're somehow beholden to that, uh, mm -hmm. which may not be exactly how you phrase it. So I'm going to put words in your mouth there, but uh, you can 
argue about whether the Vong in particular being retroactively applied to like so many periods of uh, impacting things. And like, I think the biggest thing for that is just like Palpatine started the empire to deal with the Vong. I think that would be the biggest individual thing that seems kind mm -hmm. of sus, which I don't think is even that supported by the areas where it's kind of claimed no. being outbound flight. But I don't think like having so many references to the Vong pop up in other places puts them necessarily above the empire. It just a different lens that you're kind of framing it through when you consider those important. So like Candorous seeing the things that could be the Vong uh, may seem to elevate them and their importance to the Star Wars universe or the conversation between Thrawn and Palpatine about like, oh, these kinds of things are coming and this is a thing we need to deal with. Uh, I don't mm. think that uh, negates anything in the movies. And I don't necessarily think the expanded universe being able to go beyond the movies is damaging to being able to just sit and appreciate the movies for what they are either. Yeah. And I've, I've always been somebody who's like, I don't think you can retroactively damage something. Um, like mm -hmm. there are, there are purists who believe, first of all, that star Wars should stop. Everyone knows the original trilogy purists. Everyone knows the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy purists, but there's also a lot of people who think star Wars should have stopped at episode four or their Star Wars, and that everything mm -hmm. after that diminished that in some way. Yeah. Um, for me, like, there's nothing that can be done that can remove how I feel about the, you know, the the original trilogy or the or the first six movies or the first nine movies. Um, like that's not how adding something works, especially with fiction. You yeah. know. Um, and anything that's gonna add either context or motivation to some of the characters that would have been lacking from the movie because it's not really relevant to the stories the movies are telling is going to in some way seem like it's superseding the movies. But I don't think you can necessarily continue to tell Star Wars stories in these periods without some of them getting into some potential elements of what Palpatine's motivations might be. So I don't think mm. like Palpatine preparing for the Yuuzhan Vong war is necessarily his whole motivation in life. He just liked power, but I don't think it either it uh it changes things too much either to say like there was some element of what he was doing or some element of how he was able to convince other people to go with him if you add in this detail of oh there's this big other invasion coming. Yeah, and that's another thing. It's what's what's the saying when people show people show you what they're like, believe them. What do we see of Palpatine in the movies? He never he's he's a he's a, he's a personification of evil when he's shocking Luke or when he's fighting Yoda, he's laughing with glee because he's just so he's so evil that it's it's comical in in a fun way. So it's like that is how the character is defined. If you want to cherry pick one aspect from one book or whatever else, you can do so. But for me, like, you know. Well, I think there's even a way to look at that that supports that element of it, where Palpatine in dealing with Thrawn, he knew how to manipulate people and he knew how to appeal oh, to no, them. Oh, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, and I, I personally think that that's pretty clear what was yeah. going on in that novel. But my problem is... And I think this is what you're getting at too, is there's people who read that as him yeah. being a benevolent dictator, essentially, right. when like all all the whitewashing of the empire. Yeah, all other evidence points to the fact that that's clearly not, yeah. you know, not the truth. 
I mean, also the fact that like the Great Heap is an abominor from the Yuuzhan Vong galaxy. You can take that to mean that the animated shows from that period are now all about the Vong as well. But it's just a, a fun detail in the background of their expanded universe. Like it's if you focus on the Yuuzhan Vong war, you can center moment. everything on it. <laughs> or you could you could look at anything in the context of any other events and it will skew your perception that way. And that's going to be especially true of a 19 book long series, especially mm-hmm. when that was the point where they started wanting to do a bit more serial content. But yep. I don't think it's, I don't think oh, it got, hurts anything. We got quarrel in this book, by the way, I forgot to yeah. mention. Yeah. Good old no, quarrel. I'm the same. I'm the same way. Like it, for one, I didn't have that much of a problem with how Luke, Luke was handled in the sequel trilogy. But even if I did, and I understand why people do like, I don't understand the point like, Oh, this ruined episode six for me. It's like, if you don't like what they do with the character, just it's, it's like Luke's historical ending is just as fake now as it was before <laughs> the movie was made. You know, if you don't like the story, don't watch <laughs> like it's all made up. Wait, what? Yeah. But the movie at the start, it says I got bad news. We'll talk after the stream. Okay. <laughs> uh but thank you for the question. Very interesting one. Oh, one thing I want to mention uh between questions and we sh- I do want to talk about this at the beginning of next episode. Um I've seen there's been a petition going around which is not notable, but there's been a petition going around about the uh the we we talked about this on the on the channel. I on the podcast, I think last episode, even about the young Jedi Knights lack of digital versions. And I think what's notable this time is that several authors, including Kevin J Anderson now have fully commented on it and kind of expressed incredulity, I think is probably the right word. Incredulity. Um, Just like, what the fuck? Like, why have these not been brought to digital format yet? So something I do want to signal boost, but I'll do so next episode. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, next question comes from Joel, who asks, if you guys were Star Wars authors, what would be something you would want to retcon into the wider lore? Someone who finds retroactive continuity fascinating. So curious, what would be something you would retcon? This can be for Legends or Canon or both. Mm, I mean, what kind of retcon are you, do you think he means? Uh, just any kind of, I don't know if it would be something you add that changes context or you can change a detail. Because there was something I've been thinking about kind of today that I would choose, even though it's changing a detail that was firmly established. Yeah, I've got one of those too. Um, so, Chewie doesn't know Yoda's force sensitive, or that Yoda's like Chewie doesn't see Yoda fight. All he knows he's some. He knows he's a Jedi, but he doesn't know like he doesn't witness Jedi fighting. Like okay. he's around, but he doesn't see Yoda. It doesn't work because I'm pretty sure him and Tarful are there when the clones when Gree shoots at him but yeah that would i never like i never liked chewbacca being there because it's that was like george lucas can't fucking handle himself or like uh (laughs) but like i it just makes the whole han doesn't believe this shit when like his best friend and snuggle buddy definitely saw shit going down yeah uh my change would be Plagueis is an older Sith Lord, not Palpatine's master who he killed 10 years before asking Anakin if he ever heard of the fucking guy, because that makes no goddamn sense. It's not a, a legend you're telling him. Most of the Jedi probably don't even know Plagueis was a person. 
it it that line just doesn't really make much sense to me. It makes more sense if he's an ancient Sith Lord who someone who had studied the Sith might be aware of and not like literally the most recent dude. Yeah. Um I mean is Plagueis ever like does it actually say that like in the movie does it actually say that Plagueis is Palpatine's master? Not in the movie, no. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think like I think that was in George's mind as the thing he wanted to do. I think that was the plan. It, but it I think was. George just didn't think about the fact that this line now made no sense. And this is just something I was thinking about today. So it 100% was because I remember there was a, a version of the script where he straight up says to Anakin at some point, like, until I killed him. Um like yeah. later on uh so so you're right but yeah that would uh, that would be an interesting retcon i agree obviously that's one same with chewbacca that's like way too far entrenched now to be changed uh where like i do think they could have maybe got around it uh or had plagueis i don't even think plagueis needs to be a real person um but like it could just be palpatine making shit up <laughs> I mean, that's definitely not the sense that Joel meant by retcons. Uh, he probably wants like extra info to recontextualize stuff. But that was just something I was thinking about today. And like, people have asked about retcons a fair bit recently. So it'd be the kind of thing where we have to take some more time to really think about, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but our next question comes from Tavosity, who says, Hey, Corey Neck, I've been listening through some of the old episodes and found that I've really enjoyed the episodes with guests. This got me wondering what decides whether an episode warrants a guess or not. Is it a book that pertains or is relevant to a certain creator, or is it just random? It's just random. Yeah, it's basically, uh, do we know we're doing something? Is there someone who we talk to about being on the show? Because it, it ends up being kind of impromptu sometimes. Ilkin, we had planned for a few specific books in, ahead of time, and we really wanted to do NJO with more guests, but then mm -hmm. we just... We don't have the time to organize it's it just, all the time. Yeah, that that's honestly one thing. Like people are really busy, especially like what we should do. It probably is there are a lot of other podcasters and a lot of people who don't do Star Wars full time. Yeah, um, who would probably be able to. Well, I guess that's not really fair to say because they're still busy with their lives. But um, but yeah, we it, the only busy thing, people are the Star Wars YouTubers. Yeah, well, we got shows to cover. Um. Part of it is it's hard for NJO because a lot of people haven't read it recently. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of hard to jump into book, you know, eight or nine. I think Ilkin, did Ilkin mention he wanted to come on for Star by Star? Yeah, he's doing Star by Star with us. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I would like to get Alex on for some more, especially I maybe. I really hope we can get him on the Michael Stack or Aaron Austin one. Which one is it? I forget who did which. Dark Tide was, I can't read the names. But we have I was the gonna say, yeah. wedge ones. But even for like, he's always reading. Like a lot of people don't read the new books immediately when they come out either. And yeah. I don't blame them because it, it can be hard to like. A lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Um, So on that note, no episode next week. We talked about that, right, Corey? Uh, yeah, we did. We didn't mention it yet. Right. Though. We didn't mention it. So I've got to take a week off. So no episode next week. Um. I guess we could come back to NJO afterwards. Um, yeah, so... In, or we could read... Uh, will the new book be out by then? 
the scoundrel and princess and the scoundrel yeah, princess and scoundrel that i think is coming out next week so it'd be out by then so we could do that maybe uh you want yeah. i'm trying to see where that would put us with njo so if we had that on the first then yeah princess and scoundrel comes out actually it, it, it came out two days ago so. okay yeah, so that'll be plenty of time for people people to read it but that also means it'd be probably over a month before we can do another njo book because um, if we do two weeks after princess and the scoundrel that's the 15th and that's the day andor releases maybe we just do two book weeks in a row then all right do you want to do i'm gonna do an audiobook for princess and the scoundrel anyway so okay I've got two weeks now because I'm gonna uh, and I'm traveling next Thursday, so or no, I'm traveling tomorrow rather. Right. Um. So I'll have a couple hours then, and then a couple hours the next day. So two weeks is enough for me to read an audiobook and or listen to an audiobook, and then get started on the other one. All right. So no show next week. Then the Thursday the first we'll do. Do you want to do uh rebirth? Or actually no, we should do Princess and the Scoundrel for that. Then rebirth the week after. Then Andor. That all works. All right. Okay, Andor's sneaking right up on us. Well, hope you all have a good week or a good two weeks. Thank you for watching or listening, watching, whatever you did. Leave reviews, subscribe on different podcast platforms. Uh, yeah. Yep. Bye, everybody. I'll be, I'll be live in about 10 minutes with Charlie playing some Birio Kart over on X2 and oh. my Twitch channel. This is, this is, and you better get this. I want to see you get this W, Corey. Well, Let's see what I can do. Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody.